Welcome to The Open Bell, a podcast for trumpet players by trumpet players and a cornet guy. I'm your host, Bill Stoneman, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow trumpet geeks Joey Tartell and Brian Appleby Weinberg. This episode of The Open Bell is brought to you by the World Trumpet Federation. Now you can simply go to worldtrumpetfederation.com for all your trumpet needs. No annual fees, firewalls, or other barriers between you and the most current, helpful, honest trumpet information. Home to the Open Bell podcast, the World Trumpet Federation also has its own YouTube channel and other important materials to offer. Stay tuned for more details, or just go to worldtrumpetfederation.com to see what we're up to. And Hammond Mouthpieces. Hammond Design manufactures a full line of brass instrument mouthpieces, including trumpet, cornet, trombone, and tuba, with flugelhorn on request. Custom services and alterations are also available for all brass instruments. Consistent manufacturing with a wide variety of features has been a main strength of Hammond Design. Find yourself without a flugelhorn? No problem. Carl has an amazing mouthpiece that turns your trumpet into a flugelhorn. No kidding, you have to try this thing. For more information and a personal one-on-one mouthpiece experience, visit carlhammonddesign.com. And now a little about the show. We essentially have three segments, warming up, couple things, and no offense. We'll use these segments to cover the information that Joey, Brian, and I think is important. Gentlemen, shall we? This is a segment we call Warming Up, and it gives us a chance to ease into the show by talking about some things that are on our radar. Brian, what have you got for us today? Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Would you please put your mask on? <laughs> Thank you. In, in, the, in the cornet world, uh, oh we my have... <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> no. I wanna, yes. I want to talk about this really serious issue of pitch finders on the cornet. And why don't we use them on the trumpet? We don't need them. Well, that there's a lot of evidence to the contrary there. <laughs> so you're talking about more than just the the first and the third vowel slides, or yeah, are you so talking on, about actually on the tuning slides? On the tuning slides, I have yeah. a trigger on my tuning slide. Most cornet, not most cornets, a lot of cornets that are used, especially in the brass band world. I think it's. Um, I mean, I have I, I conjecture that it's because um, a lot of people just need some help adjusting where the pitch is. Also, the the mute changes are can be unbelievably fast and you can't change your tuning slide and i know that's true in other situations too um yeah this might be this might be like a free throw thing you know if we looked at like how rick barry shot free throws underhanded and he's one of the the best free throw shooters in the history of the game uh even to the point is when like wilt chamberlain was having some trouble and they said why don't you try underhanded he did he got better at it and said yeah but i'm not doing that (laughs) right even though it was absolutely markedly and statistically better and we know that but people still won't do it trumpet players this may be exactly what you're talking about trumpet players might just go well yeah because this has been a thing yeah. you know i know that there were people uh charlie guy was experimenting with one in the 80s when i was in college and i know john hagstrom ha- had a horn that he had configured that had one it was a, it was a really interesting setup you know john's great with this kind of stuff because he is unafraid to try anything at all so he had set up something where yeah it's right like you reached where your uh, third valve slide would be you could also have something right there like a little trigger to throw or uh, to push or pull your tuning slide which of course yeah. makes total sense if you know you're going to land on that a on top of the staff and it's going to be either sharp as a tack or, or flat as a pancake because there are people who do that either way 
why not have that option? It's a good question. I think I think it comes down to ego. And I gotta I gotta say, you know, uh, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show or not, but you know, I was embedded with the Atlantic Brass Band <laughs> yes, on, their he last, was. on their last invasion of England <laughs> and Scotland. And so I show up with my cornet, and I love my cornet. It's a fantastic instrument. And I'm looking at all these people with all these adjusters, and I'm like, come on. You know, is this really necessary? You're probably in about, I don't know, 18 minutes. And I'm like, man, I wish I had some of these adjusters <laughs> on my horn. The mute changes are going by so fast, it sounds like I'm in the kitchen making something. <laughs> like, there's stuff hitting the floor you can't tune out. It's cr absolute craziness. And uh, it becomes pretty evident that in that setting in particular, you have to have them. There's, all right, it's a necessity. It's super helpful in that in that context. But it is interesting that it hasn't made it out of that. Well, it has, you know. It's leaned out, a, but it's, it's never become out, a, a, never yeah. a mainstay. Become adopted. Right. Yeah. Mm. That's a good, that's a good one. Probably. I don't know if it was fascinating. That's a good one. Well, you're well, a, we, Bach, we you're know a Bach guy, right? Why don't you right. just, why don't you bring it up? Have Bach do it. I, I don't have um, the pitches that vary as much on my Bach horn, on my Bach B-flat, as they do on the, uh, well, certainly on my old Besson cornet. Right. The new Besson is much much more pitch stable. I don't find I need to use it right. very much at all. I do know that uh, Shires, speaking of my lovely cornet, uh, they are coming up with a system for that horn oh, to right. do that. Because that yeah. was some of the feedback I gave them in. Um, on the cornet, you mean? On the cornet, yeah. The and cornet, they're definitely yeah. going to do that with the cornet because they know in order to be competitive in that market that that's an expectation. Well, yeah, we're, you know, we know a lot of people that make good trumpets. Right. I imagine we could talk to some people and saying, why aren't we doing this? And maybe at least get some prototypes going. Why not? There we go. I like it. All Brian, right. you, you could design it and maybe have some others help you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm right here. I found that having others help is very, yeah. very critical to the process. Pit trumpet pitch finder designed by Brian Appleby Weinberg and others. And others. Wow. Oh, no. Man, tough show. I, I, I'm sensing a trend. Joey, what do you have for us today? All right, let me, guys, let me ask you guys a question. Here it comes. Uh-oh. I think most of us start playing trumpet every day on B-flat, right? Yes. yes. And I've even, you know, uh, seen uh, a lot this of orchest America. orchestral guys, <laughs> uh, who, who do a lot of orchestral <laughs> players who spend most of their performing time on C trumpets talk about this and say, oh, no, I start the day on B flat. I start the day on B flat. Hmm. Is that important? And if so, why? Hmm. Is it important to start on B flat trumpet? That's the question. I can think of a couple of reasons why it could be important. Why are, go? Why don't you well, share them with us? I, well, and Brian was. <laughs> He's going to keep them. Keep them. I didn't want to. You know, I, I, I didn't want to step on Brian. If he only we like, had some sort of venue where we could talk about things. Trumpet. <laughs> I know. I asked Brian to put his mask on, but now I can't tell when he's ready to talk. <laughs> I can't see. It's um, on my bell right now. <laughs> put it over your valves. Yeah. Somehow that's not going to have you play any softer than you do. <laughs> That mask would need to be a lot bigger and made of titanium. <laughs> um, so I think because it's home base, right, because it's the thing that we all started with and grew up with, that it, that takes us back to, to the core sound that we want to make where we are most comfortable. And if you think about as you move through, the, um, through your routine and you go to CE flat, piccolo, everything gets a little smaller. 
and I think by starting on B flat, one of the bigger horns, you kind of get your resonance set up and you get your center set up in a great place. Now you see, I, I, I thought that's what you might say, but don't you want to be just at home on your E flat? Shouldn't that be just as much home base as B flat in theory? Yeah, but I want those to sound as similar to my, this we may be probably going to part ways here, but I want them to sound as similar to my B flat as possible. You want your piccolo to sound as similar to your well, B flat as possible? I want it to have the same amount of core and resonance, yeah. He means dullness. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> well, sure, we, want, we, cer we certainly want the same kind of fullness and the same kind of concept, but not literally right. the same sound. No, not the same sound. So but then why I mean, couldn't you start on piccolo? Well, you could, but I think that physically, which is the next part, the next reason I have, I think that physically it's a better place to start. So because the like if you wanted to start your day on piccolo, there's a good chance you're going to start with more tension than you might want to. Well, I, I hope that's not true. Well, but let's be real. <laughs> that, it Depends on where you are in your project in your trajectory. Of, so yeah. in the, so then I and I mean Career. me personally should start on bass trumpet. Least uh, amount of tension, right? Yeah. Because it's low. You, you should start every day on the bass trumpet on a low G. And listen, <laughs> as many as many times as it takes you to get it. <laughs> and then I'm ready you to should start. send us a recording every yes. day, too. Every, every morning. Day. Every morning you I'll should, send you that. You should do Facebook Live. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great idea. I like this idea. So you... Although I will say this, I, there have been times when I'm like, if I've done a recital where I have a multiple horns, I'll start in the middle. I'll start my day in the middle. So I'll, I'll start on C or on E flat, knowing that I have picked to play and I have C and B flat and flugelhorn to play. Hmm. Brian? So I have made that ab adaptation headed into a recital. Well, I think, now I, I think want Brian's take on this because, you know, B flat trumpet and B flat cornet are essentially the same place in the register. Here we go. Right. So I started B flat every day, but trumpet. there was a time. Yeah, B flat trumpet. Yeah. Um, and there was a time that I, I did play cor uh, C trumpet uh, first, but that was when I was doing, um, I think that's when I was in Cleveland doing a lot of orchestra work. And um, that was sort of like the thing. And so I played, a, I spent a lot of time playing C trumpet first. Um, when I was early in college, I used to just rotate them. Um, so per exercise, so I would transpose the C trumpet or the B flat trumpet to keep the same pitches, but different different notes. Um, and I think they should be pretty interchangeable, especially if you're an orchestral player. Um, and and I think the sound is similar, though I strive for a, a slightly more brilliant sound on the C trumpet than the B flat. Loud. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> I want that you to see sense. the strings, I, not hear no, the strings. I can hear. That's nice. Yeah. I can hear your C trumpet right now, and it's on a stand <laughs> behind you. Yeah, it's one of those things that uh, you know. I think we all sort of just kind of take for granted. Well, yeah, of course you start on B flat. That's what you do. But I want to. I want to think about just because we've always done it doesn't mean that that's the way it should be. So something to think about. Bill, what do you got for us? Well, I was kind of torn because I, I was going to get nostalgic and, and talk about a famous old trumpet. Um, and But then I was I was thinking I wanted to give a shout out to somebody for my warming up today. And I wanted to just mention Play on Philly. All right. Amazing organization, <laughs> yeah. right? Inner city Philadelphia. And for me, part of it is my son actually taught for them when he was a student at Temple. He would he would teach in their after school program. But 
uh, Stanford Thompson, great trumpet player. Curtis Grad is the is the CEO and the the leader of that group, and he's done incredible things to raise a lot of money um, to provide music education to to kids in Philly who otherwise wouldn't have a chance. It's a fantastic and, organization. Oh my gosh, they do yeah. such great stuff. Uh, a few years back, we actually had them out to Messiah uh, when it was just a college. Um, now, of course. <laughs> Now it's a university. Wow. It's a university as of today. Move. But uh, AM today. MU. Yeah, as a, <laughs> there it is. Go Falcons. Stuff I wrote that in my two recommendation letters today. Oh, did you really? Wrote, Messiah University. <laughs> Messiah University. Outstanding. Excellent work. Great. Um, so anyway, we had we had the students out. We did a concert in Palmer Hall, and Tim Warfield was involved, and it was just an incredible experience. And you know, got them to campus and just started to get them to think a little bit about college and all those opportunities, and it was amazing. But uh, just shout out to Stanford today for my my section of warming up because I think what they're doing there with Play on Philly is absolutely amazing. And if you are looking for something to support in terms of the arts that's going to help kids a lot and somewhere to put your dollars, that would be a place to do it. Play on Philly is amazing. Yeah, fantastic. That's fantastic, although nothing we can argue about there. I mean, I know. That's, well, I'll that's, save just, my that's just all good news right well, there. Well, we weren't going to argue. Well, it is a little bit positive for us, but we weren't going to argue about the other thing either. Um, but I'll go ahead and do it. Can I have two warming-ups today? Yeah. Okay. Sometimes you need it. You're pretty old. I know. You older fellas this. take a little longer to get well, going. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm going to warm up on a B-flat trumpet. Uh, I want to talk just for a second about the old recording model trumpet. I want to get nostalgic about the recording model. Got one right next to me. I know you do. And that's why I wanted to bring it up. Because if you ever decide to sell that. Why would I sell that? That's a great horn. He's going to buy it for me. Um, (laughs) It was my my teacher in high school played one. And I love that horn. Love the way it looked. Loved all the engraving and all that. But remember it has that offset valve case. Mm -hmm. So it's a little lower down the horn. And I've watched people over the years pick that thing up and hit themselves in the mouth with a mouthpiece because <laughs> they put their hands in the same place. Oh, it's farther away from your head. Yeah. Correct. Oh. The valves are farther away. Right. But when you pick it up, you put your hands in the same place you always do, and bam, right in the face. <laughs> Open the face. Other than that, an amazing instrument. Those are great horns. Oh, yeah. I love the sound of that Th- horn. That is something interesting as we see what has happened with the modern trumpet is I think trumpets have become more alike than they used to be. Like if mm. both physically, you know, uh, and right. just how they're made. I think, you know, manufacturers have figured out certain things that they have decided work. And then those become really, really popular. And then that becomes sort of a standard. I mean, if you look at, you know, what the Bach 37 did, the Bach 37 is a really, really good trumpet. So then everybody just started kind of copying and making their versions of it. Right. So there are lots and lots of horns that look just like that. Right when I uh, when I came out of college and w- went into in the Army's jazz band, one of the I ended up playing a Yamaha, uh, the uh, first version of the heavy wall trumpets. They had right. had them at Disney and let us try them out. And so I was like, "This is great horn." I went, I bought one. I it got a new horn. I had a Yamaha rep walk up to me on stage one night. I was I was walking off stage. Hey, I'd love to talk to you. You know, I enjoyed the concert so much, and I've got something I think you might be interested in. And he starts talking to me about the brand new Yamaha heavy wall trumpet. I walked oh, him man. back. As we were talking, I just walked him back to the riser, and I said, you mean like that one right there? <laughs> he didn't recognize it from the audience because it looked enough like a Bach 37. Yeah. Right. You know, so if you look at, like, the old recording, if you look at some of the old Selmer horns, they, uh, the radials, where they literally had the valves that were at different heights. Yes. You know, so because your second, you know, your, your second finger is longer than your third finger, the second valve is higher than the first and third valves. 
you know, there's wow. that way. Mm-hmm. They had the radial trumpets. You know, those were, they were different. They were different looking. They were different playing. Some of the old con, the old con vocabells that didn't have a mm. rim around the bell. Right. And they yeah. were wrapped really, really narrow and tight. You know, they feel quite a bit different in your hands. I don't think we have that kind of variety today. So it's a good thing to, to think about, yeah. like, why is that and why can't we? Because yeah, those horns play great. The old recording has an offset third valve, too, right? Isn't it moved over just a little bit? Just a little wall. bit. Yeah. 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 Crazy. Very cool. Yeah, I love that stuff. And I remember seeing Bazzuti, uh with playing with the North Hills High School Band, amazing high school band out near Pittsburgh. Uh, and it would have been around 83, and we thought he was playing a Bach 37. And someone said to him in the clinic, so I noticed you're playing a Bach trumpet. And he said, oh, no, 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 this is the new Yamaha heavy wall. Same thing happened. <laughs> but it the, right down to the way the braces were shaped. The only I, thing that was different on those first things, were uh, on the first versions, were the valve caps. They were a little thinner and a little more flat. Mm. And then when they came around for the heavy wall version 2, they made the valve caps a little thicker. Right. So if you're in an audience, Fantastic. unless you've got a really good eye at, like, the spit valves... Or the valve caps. Other than that, yeah, I yeah, notice. you didn't know. Wow. Yeah. The more things change, the more they remain the same, which is a fantastic transition to today's topic. It's now time <laughs> for the main part of our show, the focal point. Uh, on to couple things. <laughs> Two of the most dreaded words in the trumpet business, and I don't mean high notes. You guessed it, embouchure change. Here the we go. phrase that strikes fear into the heart of both student and teacher. Gentlemen, let's dive in. Yeah, I really want. Well, I really want to hear what you guys have to say. I have, I have a whole bunch to say on this topic, but go ahead. Well, you're the instigator, man. Why don't you kick it off? <laughs> All right. So during this COVID time, what I decided was I needed to do an embouchure change. Terrible idea. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that got right to Thank it. Thank you for your support. Right, Joey, what do you got? <laughs> Terrible idea. All right, we're done. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> no, this is, a, this is not supposed to be no offense. That's later. Well, maybe we should just stop now then. <laughs> so, so I was thinking there's, there's a couple of things that I wanted to change about my face, and one of them is enough of a change uh, on the orientation of the lower right-hand lip, the right-hand side, and how it's oriented uh, to the mouthpiece and to the top lip, that it's felt pretty major. So after I had this little heart thing, I took 10 days off. Um, I was only, I was required to take four days off. Um, and I talked with my friend Jason Solomon. He said, look, if you're going to think about doing some changes, just extend it. Do about 10 days and you'll have forgotten some of, of what you're doing. And then come back and see if you can do this reset. And I've done enough with my students. I've done a lot of resetting of embouchures um and i really only have two i only have one real rule about embouchure placement mouthpiece placement and that's that um i don't want the inside edge of the upper rim to be set into the top lip into the red into the red or below that crease between the lip and the skin um so that's my only and the reason is um is because I've seen a bunch of people actually do damage, get nerve damage or tear something um, when they play like that. Um, so, so that's the only change that I think is actually required. Left-right shifts I'm not so worried about um, and other variations I'm not so worried about. And 
um, a few years ago when I saw Whiff at Whiff Rudd at the um, where was the 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 conference just outside Philly? Um, Hershey or, or no, King of, in, King of um, Prussia? King of Prussia. Yeah. It's called King of Prussia. Great mall. Yeah, yeah. they have a Wegmans <laughs> right near there. Oh, Wegmans. Oh, Wegmans. Yeah. <laughs> Friend of when the show, Wegmans. Wegmans. And uh, and I saw Whiff and I I talked to him and I got his book um, and then I looked at the. Um, Looked at the back. I read the whole book, and I looked at the back, and he's got some advice for beginners. And he has this really interesting way of starting beginners on the on the instrument that doesn't involve buzzing the lips or buzzing the mouthpiece. Um, which why, I love. Would why would anyone do that with beginners? A lot of people, a lot of books say that that's how you should start that with beginners. Um, it doesn't even involve playing the full trumpet. It involves taking the slide out um, and setting setting the face with uh, a syllable, and then. Um, uh, and then just blowing air and then adding the mouthpiece and the air and then adding the lead pipe and the with the mouthpiece and the air. And uh, that's a really cool way. Um, and it seems to help. I changed the way I teach the trumpet class at, at Rowan. Um, and a lot more people come out with a lot better embouchures and a lot better sound. So anyway, um, I've done this a bunch and I thought I have this imbalance in my face and it, I was really feeling it in two places. Um, in the extreme upper register, so when I tried to play above G, I think things were really collapsing um, above high C. Um, and then when I tried to play small mouthpieces, my feeling is a bunch of people can make these small mouthpieces work and play screaming high notes. I don't know. I can't imagine that you know, seemingly just random people can do, that, could do this and make it work. So I was thinking this might be a path for me to be able to play small mouthpiece play the piccolo better and to introduce some more balance into my into my chops and since I have essentially six or eight months with no playing required of me at all um, <laughs> thought it'd be a, <laughs> thought it'd be a chance first time in in literally decades that I haven't had to be on um, and so making the change has been today's day 11 um, and it's more stable it's more interesting I played my first note above the staff um, and it's it's been quite fascinating um, so anyway, so amateur changes. I don't fear them as a teacher. Um, right. I, I think that translates into students not fearing them. Um, and it can be a drag for them. Um, I sort of teach it as a double. So you have things you have to do in your high school band. But I do I tell a little story about, I don't know, the story is not important. Um, but I tell a story about um, if your roommate is getting all these gigs as an oboe player, making all this money, and you're, you're the trumpet player, and you're not making this much money, it's not very long before you buy a used oboe and steal one of their old reeds and you practice that whenever they leave a few minutes a day and eventually somebody calls and needs an oboe player and your roommate's already gone and you get to do that gig. So eventually it'll replace um, what you were doing. Anyway, um, so I've done a lot of, <laughs> I've done a lot of, <laughs> it's a pretty vivid, <laughs> vivid story. So I try to make it um, less arduous for the student. Um, and a little bit more fun, and we have sort of a method we go through, and uh, it's been really helpful for a lot of students to to reset their faces, um, and so this is giving me a little bit more insight into what they're physically going through, um, and of course, you know, I'm I'm fine. I don't I'm not freaking out about the fact that I can't do certain things right now, um, and then the general movement. I was moving a lot around. Um, if you look at our our most recent. Um, video, the Trombomundi video, um, and I, I seem to be, my chops are moving around a lot more than I think they need to, um, 
thought so, that was the camera just from the volume. <laughs> didn't you, Joey? <laughs> yeah, camera I thought it was shaking. He was just shaking the shaking camera. Because yeah. he was too yeah, close exactly. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my only rule about changing, and that's what I'm going through right now, and I'm finding it pretty fascinating. And it's a huge topic for, for people. Yeah. Based on what you just said, a couple things. I'm going to get us back to that. You're not the only one that thinks that there are things about your face that should be changed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and that's one. Oof. And B, <laughs> um, I was really glad to hear you say, well, so Jason told you to take off 10 days, right? My, right? The only thing I would have done differently there, and I've given this advice before, is take off two full weeks and then quit altogether. I think that would have <laughs> been... Then just stop playing. Just Trade, Everybody sell your be gear, happier. Get go, get that, get, go get that oboe you've been talking about. Exactly. <laughs> You're set up for it. You'll be the loudest oboe player on the East Coast. Um, I was glad to hear you, you talked about the two parts of the equation, right? The way something looked to you and the way something, and then the other, just basically the sound of it, right? As you try yeah, to adapt sure. to other equipment and all that. And I think those are the, those are the things where we get caught up, right? Because sometimes you have a student come in and it just looks weird. But same for me, if it meets this basic requirement, which is above the red and below the red, right? So I'm, we're kind of saying the same thing. But yeah. I want... I'll tell I you want, why I don't mind below the red. Yeah. So, well, I want it to be below the red. I don't want it to be I, sitting on the red in either I in don't either mind. Case. I don't mind the, the, lower, the lower set. I'll tell you why, so but go ahead. German French horn thing there. Yeah. Um, so, so there's... No, I'm not with you on that. No, I don't like the We're going to argue about that in a minute. Not for our people. <laughs> This is where your conical sensibilities are going to get you in trouble. <laughs> yeah. um, but so as long as it meets that, it's okay. And I, I've led students through this too. And I've, over the years, there have been like, essentially there's two, I think that falls into two categories. One, it's such a mess. You say, take that off your face and don't ever put it on the same way again. This is the way it works. Clean break. Yeah. Right. But then there are others who you can, if you're willing to, instead of an embouchure change, it's more of an embouchure evolution. Right. Yep. Noting Kevin Eisensmith on this, by the way, my teacher and saying that, you know, a suggestion this week and a nudge here and a suggestion there. And before you know it, you can bring some things around without, you know, the whole drama of saying you're going through an embouchure change. Yeah. So yeah, I, I agree with I agree with both uh, what both of you have said. That being said, what you just said about an evolution of nudging him in one direction I'm not, I don't think that falls within our category today of embouchure change. I think through, there are a lot of things that we can just help students along the way without freaking them out by saying, mm. I want to get this out of you. Can you copy what I'm doing? Can you try this? Can you do this? That sort of almost just brings that along. Right. And that's right. Cause you don't call it that. That's but the I don't even think that. it is an embouchure change. Right. I don't think that right. I have the same embouchure I had 30 years ago or 10 years ago. I think it's always, we're always in a, in a period of evolution or should be, like you know, and, and, you know, we're, Bill, you're already hitting that age, and I'll be getting there soon, where wow. I've watched older players. There's yeah. an evolution wow. on the back end of, like, what you need to do for equipment and practice, and you can see that change coming. And, you know, you're well into that, and we know that. Where's my but, 3C? Where's but to the, need some help. But to the actual embouchure change part, you know, we've all had to deal with this with students, and uh, there's a lot of overlap here. But I, I've had a, a number of cases where my, my general rules are these. And these are broad, broad, broad rules, and they don't apply to 100% of the population. They're general rules. Generally, the mouthpiece should be somewhere near the middle of your face and about half and half top and bottom. About. 
These are all back. Because I grew up with people yeah. telling me it has to be exactly 50-50 or two-thirds, one-third, or one-third, right. two-thirds. And I don't think those things are true at all. I think it needs to be somewhere around the middle. And even then, there are exceptions. There's this kid who just kid. He's an adult. He just mm. finished his master's here at IU. When he came up uh, to audition, he wanted to grab a lesson with me, and he wanted to grab a lesson with John Rommel, and he studied with one of John's uh, former students. So he came in, and he plays, if you're looking directly at him, it's at almost a 33, you know, maybe 30-degree angle off to his right. Off-center. Like yeah. that far yeah. off-center. Like disturbingly off-center. Right. So just physically, I'm looking the at The angle of the thinking. horn is he's right. facing you, and his bell is not close. Not he close. Can, he can yeah. be aimed straight downstage and be looking off stage. Exactly. Right. So, right. so okay. I'm, I'm watching. He's in my office, and he starts playing, and I'm, I'm listening, and he sounds really good. So I, right. being hyper-analytical, start putting him through the ringer. Let's try this. Try this. Can you play this for me? Can you play this for me? And he can play all of it, and he yeah. sounds like a million bucks. So the next day was his audition, and John said, oh, did you meet with him? I did. I met with him. Uh, how was he? I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wait for you to tell me. He said, well, I'm, I'm going to get together with him today at the end of auditions. Mm -hmm. So he comes in, and he plays, and he plays a lights-out audition. And John's just looking at him, too. Yeah. Yeah. So John meets with him that night, you know, the day, and Monday morning, he comes into my office, as we'll often discuss these sorts of things. And he said, all right, so tell me your thoughts. <laughs> and I said, John, I put this kid through the ringer, because I'm, I'm more hyper-analytical than John. You know? And I went... I think he's fine. And John said, yeah, me too. <laughs> like, right. It's not a problem for this particular person. Playing right. that far off center isn't a problem. He's right. fine. Is but that a teeth issue? or is that No, it's just where he happened to set up, and it yeah, just wasn't. Now, there are other people that have run to with, that look the same for which it was a huge problem because they right. couldn't do this or couldn't do this or couldn't do this or couldn't do this. So when we get to that point, and the reason to make an embouchure change is because you are limited. Right? Right. Because you look it, for the brick wall. Right. Because right. essentially, uh, if, if you're looking at a student and they are playing in a way that you know they can only get they can only get so far before that won't work and they won't be able to do things that they need to be able to do. Yeah. They will not be able to progress past a certain point. So then it's about, okay, how do we do this? And for me, this is what I tell them, and it's not a, an oboe story because we should never encourage uh, trumpet players yeah, to get anywhere near oboes <laughs> in any way. We're going to be done with that, okay? I want you to think about this. Oboe pay players, rent. Oboe players right now, they should look what the weather is like in the Bahamas because that's going to affect how they play four months from now. Wow. Right? <laughs> do you want to live like that? No. How's the cane no. going to be? You know, my mouthpiece no. is the same every day. I, like I know it's piece. me when it's a bad day. I know that's me. <laughs> It's not the bad cane and the bad reed. We should not have to deal with that, no. and we're not going to. So here's what I tell. We have to build a better habit. So similar to what you're talking about, yeah. what I'm saying is, listen, I know you're in band, whether there's a high school student or a college student. There are things that you have to do in your performance. Don't worry about it. Just do whatever you need to do. But when you get into the practice room, you cut yourself exactly zero slack. Yeah. And yeah. so we'll start with a lot of times, a lot of times what works if it's a, just a setup issue of, okay, we're going to put that mouthpiece kind of just somewhere around the middle, right? Now breathe in through the nose, not for any kind of Caruso thing or anything like that, but so that you don't, when you take that breath, go right back to your old set, right? Yeah, exactly. Take, breathe through the nose and then blow through. And I tell them, it's going to feel so weird. And most of the time they're like, oh my gosh, that feels really, really weird. Almost a hundred percent of the time, they can make a sound. They can make a G right. happen. Yeah, they can and make a sound. And then it's like, yeah. okay, I can make a G or a C happen, and then it's right back to the fundamentals. Okay, if you can play a G, you can play a G sharp. If you right. can play a G, you can play an F sharp, and then branching out from right there and building that habit in the practice room. 
And then you build that habit and build that habit and build that habit until you're ready to bring it out of the practice room and start plugging it in. Yeah. I love I love this. This is the idea, though. This is the process. And I think you you have to base it on what you hear, right? Because you we see a whole bunch of different things which are based on, okay, dental structure and, you know, size of the lips, the mouthpiece, and all those other things. And I think this is the thing that teachers need to realize is that it is that balancing act. And we all do the same thing. Put them through the paces, right? Look for the limitation, the brick wall, whatever you want to call it, kind of hoping that it doesn't show up. But if it does, then figure out the best way to go about addressing it. Well, and, yeah. you know, whether you have to dive in or whether you don't even mention it and know you can course correct. Right. And if it's if it's something really, really small, oftentimes you can you can course correct a lot without even bringing it up just by giving them specific exercises and music to kind of work them through and bring them along, right. especially with younger players. I met a, a high school student years ago. I don't think she'd mind me telling this story. She came to Birch Creek. She's playing great jazz. She can play high G's, and it's the screwiest face I'd ever seen. Whoa. So right. she came in to grab a lesson, and she looked me dead in the eye and said, I know you're going to tell me I have to change my armature, and I'm not doing it. And I said, <laughs> okay, good for you. Right. And I said, here's what I want. Can we do this? Can we do this? And there were things that already she couldn't do. So I said, let's just try this. Put the mouthpiece on, and we just did this. And she could play full range of the horn. It just felt weird and unnatural because she's young. This is easier to do with younger players because right. they haven't had the longer formed habits. So she said to me, yeah, and she just kind of blew me off. She didn't audition here. Band director's like, why didn't she audition at IU? I said, oh, she doesn't want to come study with me. So she, <laughs> she went to North Texas. And, mm -hmm. and I told her this when she was great 16 school. years old. She, great it school. is great school. <laughs> I, told, I said, listen, here's what's going to happen. I'm telling you this is what is in your future. First, the range is going to go away. And you'll think, well, I mean, I don't have to play lead. I'm a jazz player. I'll be fine. You know, and then the flexibility is going to go, and you're like, well, I'm an improviser. I can kind of pick what I want to play, and I can do that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And then your sound's going to get real crackly, and then you're not going to be able to get around the horn at all. So the end of her sophomore year, all of this happens, <laughs> and she has to basically stop and start all over again. And she and Jay Saunders took a year and basically rebuilt her face. Yeah. yeah. Right? And good for Jay, who did great work. So she calls me at that point says, I want to come back up to Birch Creek. And she came in, oh. and she goes, check this out. Puts the horn up plays and she sounds like a million bucks she took the time and did it she said you're the only one that ever told me this was going to happen everybody else was like seeing a high school kid that could play high g's and improvise they're like yeah you're fine you're great you're great yeah, fine, leave great. it alone yeah. right so until it shut down but i it, it, right the way she was set up was not going to allow her to continue to do that right yeah. so you guys oh she was at ntc you guys may have met her now she's in yeah. the air force band of the golden west she plays awesome. she's out there she's doing great yeah she's nails I, I mean, over the years, I've had, a, you know, a handful of students like that where you, but you know, like, because you see the writing on the wall and you know it isn't going to work. And I remember saying to this one, one student, yeah, I, so I asked the question. I was afraid of the answer. I'm like, so tell me, do you feel the equal amount of contact on your upper and lower teeth when you play? And he said, oh, no, that's, that's ridiculous. Why would I feel anything on my lower teeth? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, take it off your face. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. Success story, though, because he ends up at IU, does the jazz studies degree. Joey, you know who I'm talking about. I do. That Our would be boy. that would be Ryan Swear. That would be Ryan Swear. Oh, Swear. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. He showed up um, here, and this is before we knew each other, and I yeah. just thought, who was your undergrad teacher? We have so much work left to do. We have to, yeah. <laughs> who was this guy? Well, I'm really going to have to roll up my sleeves. Great right. student. Well, you know, it was only half an embouchure change because he really only had half an embouchure. I love Ryan. <laughs> Ryan's going to really enjoy this episode. He's obviously ended up where he could, you know, 
could really play, and he's oh, he's doing yeah, well he, and doing doing great things. But a great yeah. student, he came in and was like, "All oh, right, yeah. what do I do?" I'm like, "Let's try this. Th- Look, I'll do that. Yeah. I'll do that. I do that." He was oh my god, he was awesome. Yeah. And that's part of this part of it too. Before you even embark on, if you have to do the Amish or change, that student has to be wired for it. You know, somebody like Ryan, who's super smart and had patience and diligence, those were important factors in this because it was back to Getchell book one. Right. And he was willing, you know, right. and, and it he made it work. Well, that's you know? what you have to – that's exactly right. you got to go in with the idea of, okay, we're building a new habit. We're building a better – you know, bu- building a better mousetrap is what we're trying to do here. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to be ready for this because it is sort of starting over in one way. You know, you've got to be willing to – I'm go. I'm not going to be able to do all the things I want to do in the practice room now, so that I can do everything I want later. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I I want to come back to Einsetzen, Mr. Conical. Oh yeah. Boy. Yeah. Yeah. So you're okay with the mouthpiece no. inside the bottom lip? Set, Answer carefully. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I'm I'm at, the reason is because I I watch Kevin Good play and he can play anything and he can play piccolo and he can play he plays second trumpet but he can play loud soft he can play all day and he has set in the bottom lip, um, but I've seen other students who are either there or slightly like just really on the edge or just a little bit high on the bottom lip um, who are fine um, and I I think the bottom lip actually can take a beating and I think the top lip just can't mm. um, and you think our lips are different. The top yeah. lip and bottom oh, lip are different. Yeah, here we go. This yeah, is be I great. actually actually do. I think I think the bottom lip can you can hammer away at the bottom lip, and you, you can't really do that to the top lip. So you think the the like the tissue itself is somehow different on the top lip than the bottom lip? Brian, it's your lucky day. I've got Doctor Oz on the line right now. <laughs> I'm gonna pull him in here. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that it's different, um, but well, I think you're saying it's different. When, I think in playing the instrument. I think if you put pressure, uh, too much pressure on the top lip, I think you're asking for problems. And I think you can press pretty hard on the bottom lip and you can still play pretty well. I don't know that I agree with that. I think no. more players anchor more on the top lip so that the top lip just traditionally gets more pressure. I'm not sure it's better or worse equipped for it. I just think that the way we play, the way we're taught, and the way that pedagogy has evolved is that most players are anchored more on top than on bottom, so the bottom lip just generally takes less of a beating. Yeah, and I think I think if you can reverse that. I think you can press pretty hard on the bottom lip and uh, and not have any real ill effects, and I think that if you do that to the top lip... Um, I actually... I mean, Pete did some some research where he had um, had a guy put a camera in the mouthpiece. He's a, a otolaryngologist. Is that the correct pronunciation of somebody no who idea. studies the vocal cords? We're going to leave you hanging sure. on that um, one. And yeah, he has a ahead. he has a he has a camera that is um, high enough um, frame rate that it can actually see the vocal cords doing the flapping in and out. Um, and he stuck that in a mouthpiece while Pete was playing. Um, and Pete said it was it was pretty fascinating that um, both lips. Um, would the vibration is not up and down it's in and out the lips would completely close on every cycle um so open and completely closed um and that both lips vibrated the same um and they have to (laughs) well i i think for a lot of people maybe the top lip vibrates against the bottom lip or more than the bottom lip wouldn't that depend on placement? Because the mouthpiece is going to stop some of that vibration. Could that's, depend on placement. That's part of the problem with it being 
like too low is that you're stopping the vibrating surface. That's part think, of my problem with setting inside the red on either yeah. lip is that what you're doing is stopping vibrating surface. Right. Because if, like, yeah. if, you're, if you're on the lip, that's a part that cannot vibrate if you've got the mouthpiece pinning it. Yeah, and since you said oboe, I'll say clarinet. There, take that. Imagine a clarinet player like <laughs> putting their thumb, like holding that reed, trying to get a sound, trying to play through it. It's the same thing. You're dampening the reed. Yeah, and I think we. I think actually the top lip actually is more prone to damage. I mean, do you know people who've had that those lip surgeries um, or have done sure. muscle well, damage? Yeah, but again, any of them. But again, I don't think that's because the top lip is any stronger or weaker. I any think of it's them happen on the lower set. lip. No, I just think we set on the top lip. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. It's a top lip predicated system. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that's where we happen. That's just where. But it doesn't have to be is. that way, right? Shouldn't be that way. I, I don't know if there should or shouldn't on that. That's a good question. To, I think there has to be balance. But, but I think everything that I do, and I think about using the corners and setting the jaw, is all to protect the upper lip. Protect, see, protect the upper lip. Don't you want to protect both lips? I do, but I don't think as much about that. Yeah, I don't think the bottom. I, I don't. You do, but I think the I, bottom lip I, can take can take a beating. I play with more upper lip in the mouthpiece than lower lip. I'm probably a two thirds, one thirds guy. Than right, and this 50, is the 50. part that I don't think is universal. I think but, you right. know, various face shapes and dental structures lead people to the fifty fifty, two thirds, one third, one third, two thirds. I think that's all over the map, and I think that's fine for just right. how people are set up, as long as generally. And again, like you said, well, I, I've seen this one guy. I've seen Kevin Good. What if he's the exception, and you're basing your assumptions on an exception? Could you know, be. you got to look at because if you look, at, I can find you 99 other players that don't have their bottom lip in the red. So, if he's one, that I don't think that makes a rule. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I have seen others. I I don't remember not you others, but others, no. actual <laughs> others, not, actual <laughs> others, not and others <laughs> who've done it or seem to not suffer for setting really close to the edge of the bottom lip, if not if not just inside the edge of the bottom lip. But I think people do suffer if it's set in the top. I I think you you do see. Do you know famous, really great famous players who are set inside the top lip? Inside the crease in the top lip, under the under the muscle. No, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, if I were setting people up again, uh, I don't think famous players are always great either. I think you can always find exceptions. I'm looking for big rule, big general guidelines yeah. to operate under, knowing that they're not universal. Yeah. So if somebody happens to be set up in a way that's slightly different and they can play everything, then I don't care. But if I'm setting somebody up from ground zero, I'm not going to set them up as an exception. But if they're set into the top lip and they can play everything, you will change them. Not if they can play everything and, and I don't see any problems. So I would I would change them. What if they asked why? Because I think they're going to do long term damage to the top lip. Well, if I'm worried about that's the, the only damage. that's the only that's the only rule that's the only rule. Right. Yeah. I'm not. They sure can play lots universal. of stuff. But I'm not sure that's universal either. Yeah. I just. Yeah. Mm. I had a, a cool one happen recently. Um, mom calls and son's in middle school, really serious about the trumpet, wants lessons, but he's, you know, whatever. So I'm like, yeah, sh okay, bring him over. Not sure if I have room, but I let me. Sure. And I, the kid's awesome. Like the kid is all in. He loves the trumpet. <laughs> nice. And he can play, he can play like to a G above the staff. And I'm like, okay, but his face is messy. Like uh -huh. he's placed, I think he was, if I recall, he was super high right way up and so he's doing the thing and i'm like okay so he goes 
this isn't right. I'm like, all right, talk to me. What do you think? And he said, you know, what's going on? And he said, well, I can play all this stuff, and I can play really big, but I can't play any higher, and I think I should be able to. And no matter what I do, this is the highest note that I can play. (laughs) And I don't think that's right. (laughs) You know, I mean, I love this kid. Like, right away, we're in it. He's on it. So I open the door, I call Mom in, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be really honest with you. Here's where we are. He's been playing this way since fourth grade, and he's playing in the wrong place. And in order for him to have a, you know, for it to be sustainable and for him not to wear out and for him to be able to do what he wants to do, and he knows that it should be different, we need to move this, okay? And you are going to be super frustrated and all that, but he's working with one of my trumpet majors and all in, like, and it's getting better. So this is the reason, main reason I'm bringing this up, because here's a crazy thing I did. Um, For him to be able to sense where he needed to place the mouthpiece, I put him on a really big mouthpiece. Yeah. Oh, sure. Now, he was going to he was going to lose his range anyway. Sure. Right. And he was kind of he's kind of a big kid and he's got there's a lot of red going on there. Um, And so I I I think it was a one C I put him on. Right. (laughs) And he loves it because he's making a great big sound and everything's cool and the range is coming along and coming Mm -hmm. along. But that's the approach I took. And I wondered how you guys felt about the big mouthpiece thing to rein it in. I feel great about that. Here's why. We want to talk about the term margin of error. Because when you're playing with a really screwy amateur, like I've seen people who twist things around and try and get them right, and I've said this to students before, I'm going to bet that there are times you're playing along and everything's great, and then you take a breath, and then you can't play at all. They're like, yeah, yes. what's up with that? <laughs> right. Like You are playing in a way where you have very little margin of error. So if you're trying to correct stuff, what you want to create is a large margin of error. That's why generally you want the mouthpiece in the middle of the face. That's why generally you want your lips inside the mouthpiece because that gives you a large margin of error. So with this kid, to get him to move down a little bit, you want to give him a larger target to hit. So yeah. give him a bigger oh, mouthpiece. Love it. And then you give him a larger, because this is a, when you're talking about, Brian, you said earlier about there are a lot of people out there that play small mouthpieces and sound amazing on them. And you're exactly right. But smaller right. mouthpieces mean smaller margin of error. Yeah, sure. You know, you've got to make sure you're doing everything exactly the same because if you're not, mm-hmm. it's just not going to work. So especially when you're dealing with kids that are just starting out, this is one of those reasons, that, coming back to where we started once before, this is why the 7C is a terrible, C, idea terrible idea for beginners. Terrible idea. It's a, it's a, it's a small not. margin of error for kids starting out. I want them to have a larger target to shoot at, even if that in the short term – you know, maybe they can't play as high right away. Don't care. That's going to come. Right. Right. Love it. Um, yeah. For this guy, it w- it helped him figure out, as I explained to him, the mouthpiece has to rest on the rubber band <laughs> on yeah. the top and the bottom. Because I'm like, you can feel the rubber band in there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you're right where it was. Well, the big mouthpiece allowed him to do that. But again, it will work with this guy because he, he loves the trumpet and and he really wants to get better. And how savvy of this kid to know that it wasn't, like no matter that. what like he did, he was hitting a brick wall. You'll get to meet this kid at some point. He's awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, but he's doing great with it. And um, But that that was the approach to try to get it. I, I love the way that, Joe, you're talking about this. There are, gener- there are general things, right, that just kind of start way out here at the end of the funnel, and then we just kind of dial it in and dial it in and dial it in. So how do we talk to high school band directors? How do we talk to teachers who are too afraid or just say, well, they're, you know, that that kid in high school who's playing a double G and you never, never train, never give them another thought because, you know, they'll be fine. 
the hard thing is they're going to base it on what's visual. And I think we've covered this sufficiently today because it looks funny doesn't mean it needs to be fixed. Right. Or right. In, in some cases, even if it happens to look fine from a distance, that doesn't mean it's okay. Doesn't mean That's it's working. That's right. Yeah. The other side of that. That's yeah, why it's it, always important. If you've got a, a really interested kid at any level for the band directors out there, make sure they're taking lessons with somebody good. Yeah. You know, this is where private instruction, this is where the one-on-one -on -one is vital to kids' development. For any student who really wants to go on and major in music or want to go on and be a professional, the individualized instruction, there is no substitute for no. that. And, you know, I say with our grad students all the time, like, look, if you run into something, you know, get the, get the student's parents' permission, shoot a quick video, send it. You know, and in, for any of us who've been doing this for so long, how long would it take? It would take you a few seconds to look at this and hear a student play and say, here's what's going on. Yeah, this would be exactly. my recommendation. So, yeah, absolutely. you know, and I mean, hey, here at the Open Bell, we are always willing, right? We're here to help. We're givers. We're here to help. <laughs> we're, we're, we're wired, really, to give, you know. Absolutely. So, Brian, we're going to need some updates on this embouchure change. Sure. When well, you, we've got another Mundi project in the in the works, right? We do. We Which do. I just saw today, and none of it can I am I able to Christmas, play at the moment. <laughs> Christmas in July. Listen, we're not going to do that till we know your concert B flat scales back in good shape. So, <laughs> so another two three right months. now. Another, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another three or four weeks for sure. <laughs> All right. So just because it looks bad doesn't mean it is bad, and just because it sounds good doesn't mean it is good. Wait right. a minute. Did I get that right? Yes. Actually, surprisingly, yes. <laughs> wow. And here we are again agreeing on something. Big picture. Could that yeah. even be possible? I love it. That's great. Well, this was an important one, I think, and uh, it is something I think people struggle with. Um, struggle knowing how to fix it and maybe being afraid to tackle it. Absolutely. So, and, Brian, thanks for sharing because you're kind of burying your soul here in an unsafe place to talk about <laughs> Very changing. Very unsafe place. <laughs> really unsafe place. <laughs> About changing your so, but here's my big question to you: Are you changing your cornet embouchure, or is it just your trumpet embouchure? It's, it's, it's all the same, man. It's all the same. I haven't no, the started cornet, vibrato, the cornet embouchure. The cornet embouchure is fine. <laughs> haven't no, started no, no, no. on vibrato. That's gonna put a whole new wrinkle what, in. What vibrato? Oh, no, yeah. what vibrato? I've never wow. heard you play with any vibrato at all. Well, listen, finally, we reach the portion of the program we like to call No Offense. And this is where we highlight something from the Trumpet Kingdom that is recognized, used, and touted, yet might not make so much sense to us. We feel it's our responsibility, no, our duty to highlight such things, to raise awareness, inform the masses, and generally start trouble. And today's topic is a good one. we got to credit Joey for this one, as apparently you've seen it a lot. You're welcome. Clip-on tuners. Oh, my gosh. If you're using a clip-on tuner, uh, no offense, you might want to rethink that. <laughs> yeah, no offense. If you're using a clip-on <laughs> tuner, you're wrong. Because the <laughs> assumption is you're making is if I look at the end of my bell and I'm right down the middle, then I'm right. And that's just not the case. You know, pitches can move. Uh, I remember hearing a, a vocal jazz ensemble in the 90s. There were 16 people in the room. They started singing an a cappella ballad. They got about a minute into it, and it all just tore apart. And you could see the kids looking at each other. They're looking around. The conductor looks and says, what happened there? And one of the guys raised his hand, and he said, well, I mean, these people, they're, they're starting to rise and rise. They're just going sharp and sharp and sharp. I mean, I have perfect pitch. 
And he said, okay, so if, nine, if, if 15 people move the pitch up a little bit and you remain where you are, who's right and who's wrong? And I thought, this is a great lesson. This yes. is fantastic. Yes, this is awesome. And this is what tuners do. Because pitch, you know, if you're in different parts of the chord, if you're in different parts of the tonality, if the whole group, if it's outside and super hot and the pitch is climbing, and you are the one who is locking yourself to an electronic device on the end of your bell rather than listening to the people with whom you are playing, you are part of the problem and not part of the solution. <laughs> Agreed. We tune with our ears, not with our eyes. And like you're saying, you know, in an, especially in an ensemble, pitch is a living, breathing thing. It's kind of like fire. You know what I mean? It's going gonna, it's gonna to go where it's going to go and base, you know, basing it on something you're looking at. So you say clip it to the bell, not the lead pipe, huh? I guess you might get cross-eyed <laughs> if it's on the lead pipe, right? You've got to move it out a little further. Right? Farther. Not farther. Further. Sorry. <laughs> Conceptually speaking, the further... <laughs> Perfect. I think you mean literally farther away. So, yeah, yeah, I think there are less tuners. You mean fewer? Yeah. <laughs> you know, now I'm just doing it on purpose. Yes. Now you're you're just you're just making me angry. Just poking the bear, Brian. What do you think about these things? Yeah, come on. Yeah, man. I completely agree. So um, I always. I don't always say, but I often say that intonation is an ego problem, not an ear problem. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, so, yeah, people just are not willing to bend the pitch far enough to accommodate um, who they're playing next to. Um, and so uh, I, I did a, a week. I hung out with Vince Penzarella in northern Minnesota um, a few summers ago. Um, it was a really cool week. He talked about doing the American premiere of L'Histoire with Stravinsky. Um it's totally worth the trip. It was it was really cool, um, and uh, and he talked about playing octaves with Phil Smith, and he talked about I think Phil Smith had been through three or four second trumpet players in like two seasons or something, um, and he said you know why he's having that problem, and I said no I have no idea why he's having that problem, and he said it's because they're not willing to give themselves over completely to the pitch that Phil wants to play, um, and he said when we played octaves and Phil had to play a G on top of the staff, I played second line G one and three. <laughs> wow. he sure. said well, hey. he said some nights phil was sharp and if i was open i couldn't get high enough most of the time i used trigger on it now and if some he had nights a pitch finder <laughs> on, the, on his trumpet yeah back to the beginning right <laughs> yeah yeah so so i think i think it's um not training your eyes it's training your ears you have to train your ears not your eyes and then you have to be willing to go with it there's some people who just don't believe that believe an a natural is an a natural is an a natural and if right. you're the root the third or the fifth <laughs> yeah um you've got those are three different a naturals <laughs> not right. only that but what you're talking about playing second trumpet becomes really important because if you're yeah. playing second or third or, or fourth in a concert band a jazz band or an orchestral section your job is to go with your principal player whether you believe them in your heart and soul to be right <laughs> or wrong right. your job in an octave is to make that first player sound right that's and, the know, job it is your job and you i embrace that job as a second trumpet player and i've played second to brian before which had me praying for those triggers he was talking about <laughs> but you know what i was bound and determined to be a good second player so, so many so alternate fingerings. Oh, my gosh. I learned so much that fall. I had no idea that you could even play some of those notes. You didn't know you could play C natural one and two. Yeah. 
and just kick it back just a little bit. He's right there. <laughs> just a little bit. You can find center. him right there. Dead Brian's center. open C is my one and two with a little touch of trigger. <laughs> First foul trigger. Um, so we're not entirely cause, m- causing problems here, but you could save the money on the clip-on tuner and, and buy these three apps instead. The Tonal Energy Tuner is yeah. amazing because it shows you if you really need some sort of visual representation, it'll help with that. It also is a great way to generate drone pitches over which you can play studies. Now, I like the Scale Master app better for drones, but Tonal Energy Tuner will do it. And finally, there's this really cool one called Intune. And Intune is really just a pitch game where it plays two back-to-back pitches, and you have to say whether the second one is higher or lower. And they keep getting closer and closer and closer. And it's a lot of fun, actually, to play. But those are... Those I are mean, great options. And listen, if you're going to be practicing pitch, and you should, like pull that, pull the, uh, one of those apps up, put it on the stand. I want you, I want you to do this. I want you to play wherever you're going to play, and end on wherever the note you want to get to. Play where you know it's in dead center with your eyes closed or your eyes on the music. There it is. Then look at the tuner and see where you're honestly putting it. Yep. Don't play to the tuner. Play where you in the play in the center of the sound and say, oh, when I play that note in the center of where I think it is. I'm high or I'm low. And yeah. then you can really learn how to play in tune. Then you can really learn how to make this thing work. Because if you're just staring at a tuner, you are not practicing tuning. You're practicing well, how to match a tuner. Yeah, right? and that's where I, I've met run into band directors who have bought, you know, like v- blown the budget on visual tuners for students and then wonder why the pitch didn't get any better. Well, <laughs> you know, those, those things are great for sort of analyzing instruments and mapping an instrument, right? So you know the tendencies of your horn. But there's the secret. Close your eyes, play the note, open your eyes. So that right, because uh, otherwise, the other yeah. thing it d- the tuners can do is ruin your sound. Because if you're going to you know, contort your face into m- making that n- line go right dead center, your sound may be so closed off that you've right. lost all center. Especially yep. if, like Brian, you're playing on the red on the bottom. <laughs> the bottom, and exactly. You, you ca- there's no shot. The total because center. Because he, he believes those French horn players from the 60s. He's, <laughs> he's moving that mouthpiece up as part of his new embouchure change. <laughs> That's really what's happening. <laughs> well, that really should about do it for today. Hey, listen, thanks for joining us on The Open Bell. Stay tuned, subscribe, or whatever works for you. We appreciate your patronage, and so do our sponsors who have no idea what they've gotten themselves into. So long for now. Remember to keep an open mind, but more importantly, an open bell. <laughs>